I'm Anita Annabelle, and this is The Good Chat. No, I'm not compliments. Quietly, I'm loving it. <laughs> I love making friends. I don't know what to that's tell you. I'm a psychic. This podcast is going to be a hit. little chit chat. This is probably the best chat. No, that's why this is called The Good Chat. We get that's good chat, true. mate. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this next episode of The Good Chat. I am your host, Anita Annabelle. If you've been listening to every episode of The Good Chat, like I know some of you have been, you may have noticed we have had a little bit of a makeover and I could not be more excited about it. A big shout out to my good friend, Matt, who is seriously one of the most talented people I have ever met. On today's episode, I chat with Australia's favourite handyman, the living room star, Baz Dubois. On the day of release, it's actually Baz's birthday, so a huge happy birthday from me to you, Baz. Now, during our chat, we had a wide-ranging conversation speaking about Baz's battle with cancer, why moving into politics will enable him to create a better Australia, and the kind of world he wants his nine-year-old twins to grow up in, and so much more. In one of the most fascinating chats of this season, this is The Good Chat with Baz Dubois. And and am I peaking a bit? Is that a bit too high for you? You're actually okay. okay. It's actually me who's peaking because I have I a very, I have a very loud voice. I also I used to do a lot of drama, so I know how to project. <laughs> but I also forget that I have a microphone in front of me, so I can't project so much. Thanks so much Love for it. for joining me on the good chat this afternoon. I am so thrilled to be chatting to you. I'm a huge fan. Oh, that's nice to hear. I'm thrilled to be chatting to you. Thank you. You're just the sweetest thing. Congratulations on your announcement of running for a Senate seat in the next election. This is such huge news. Yeah, I'm glad that you and a lot of people are seeing it as huge news. And and I think the reason we're seeing it as such huge news, because people run for the Senate all the time, so I think many of us are sort of fed up with the system and and I'm very lucky that um, I have a great relationship with a lot of people and I think I'm also very lucky because of my, my show with Amanda and Chris and Miguel, mm. I get to spend a lot of time out in the suburbs with real people and um, I think we're very disenfranchised with the way the system is at the moment. Mm. And speaking of The Living Room, um, such a great show. I love that one. It's so so humble and wholesome. And it, it's also really, I guess, taught you what your audience needs. So you've obviously been able to go out there and, and visit your audience, but you, it probably shows you what they need as well. Very much so. I um, I come from the western suburbs of Sydney, Liverpool. I grew up in a two-bedroom fibro house on a six-lane highway. I'm very proud of that very proud about where I came from. But through the free market and working hard and innovating uh, and and great uh, capitalism and all these sorts of things, I've done really well in life. And I retired when I was 46 years old. Um, And I don't want to sound like a wanker. That wasn't just a matter of retiring because I had a stack of money. I had enough Mm. money to retire. But I, I was suffering some mental health issues and um, and I'd lost my mum and my wife had gotten cancer and I, I lost, I uh, sort of lost my way. I was really disappointed with the way life was turning out. I, I'd done well financially, but the people I cared most about were being, it seemed to be being hurt and, that, and as an alpha male, that was very difficult for me. Mm. And um, I sort of decided to sort of throw it all in and, um, 
I saw it as early retirement. As it as it turned out, it was only retirement for about seven or eight years, and and I found uh, Channel Ten and and the and the, um, the the renovators first, but then the living room, which is just beautiful. And and you're right, the living room. We're so lucky on that show that you know five or six hundred thousand people every week invite us. They ask us to spend an hour with them in their living rooms on a Friday night and get ready for the weekend. And I think that's super special. I mean, you watch the news because you've got to find out what's going wrong with the world and you watch the footy and all those shows. But to, be, to sit on a lounge with my closest friends and then to be invited into the lounge rooms of many others, it's a really beautiful feeling. And it really resonates and emanates across the TV, I think, just watching you just kind of, it really is that wholesome thing that we need right now. I mean, at the time of recording, you and I are both in lockdown and it's mm. it's it's a hard time. Like we're all, oh God, we've gotten so deep so quick, but it is, it's such a hard time to be going through and to have something like an escapism almost and to have such beautiful people such as yourselves being on TV for us to watch. I think it's so wonderful. But before before we dive any more into that, I, I really want to talk about this politics um, endeavour mm. that you've got because it's so it's so exciting, and I'm mm. really interested in you putting into your energy into the the fair go for all pillars. So you've got mm. environment, commerce, culture, education, health, cohesion, and transparency. Explain this yeah. to me. Well, those things are very important and I believe equally important in in a very healthy society and a healthy democracy, quite frankly. Now, this is a bit of a history lesson and I knew when I started this that my campaign was going to be more than just a campaign to ask people to vote for me. I'm 61 years old and I remember when the Senate kept the bastards honest. But in the 70s, um, we changed the voting around the Senate because you used to have to vote for 76 individual people and the powers to be at the time said, listen, this is too difficult for you guys. We're going to make it easy for you. If you don't want to go through that three-minute process, you just vote above the line and we'll put the people we think are right there for you. And that was in 1978, I think, and, and I've seen the culture of this country changed dramatically in those uh, 30, 40 years. And um, you, we were talking a little while ago about how beautiful our show is. Our show is beautiful because it has those seven pillars. We care equally about everything that matters to a mm. good show. We care about each other. We don't exclude one another. We make sure that we're all healthy and we're, up, we're all up to date. If someone's not up to date with something, we don't vilify them or criticise them or attack them. We empathise with them, slow down a little bit, explain to them and make sure we're all on the same page. That's why our show has lasted so long because we clearly care about each other and that's what this, the governance of this country needs as well. It needs some cohesion. Um, so much of the culture of this country, and when I say the culture, legislation that makes up the constitution of this country is what creates the culture of a country. And the culture of our legislation is very unbalanced. So to give you an example about the seven pillars, the job of the upper house, the Senate, 
is to review and scrutinise legislation that has been created by the democratically elected government in the lower house. So they put up a legislation and say, what do you think of this, guys? The current state of affairs is when they're doing that, they're like saying, it's like saying your best mate is going to mark your exam paper now and if you pass, he gets a pay rise. Yeah, right. Because it, you, you sort of mean there is no scrutiny. I mean, mm. if the Liberal Party or the Labor Party put up a policy, uh, a legislation, which in fact is a life sentence, we're, we've, we're stuck with that legislation forever then. If they don't scrutinise and say, hey, guys, you, you're missing out here. Yeah, this is great for the coal mining industry, but we're not worrying about the the Indigenous people that have mm. uh, been on that property for, for a long, long time. We're not worried about the emissions. We're not worried about the health of the environment. You know, you, you have to have a balance over a legislation. And, and where I can and where possible, I feel those pillars are good pillars for me to lean on when reviewing that legislation. Mm. Uh, see, there's a huge... I hope I'm not being too technical and too confusing here. <laughs> no, that's but okay. Before the 70s, you had the lobbyists of this world were the clergy, uh, some some community groups and, and, and basically a connection with the community. But when we change this system around, the lobbying industry has become so powerful in this country because the lobbyists, and they do, support the major parties with millions and millions of dollars. See, the, the lifeblood of a party is lobbyist dollars. Now, if you control both houses, therefore you control the house that creates the legislation and you control the house that scrutinises the legislation and the people that are initiating the legislation are the people that give you your lifeblood, which is lobbyist dollars, where's the advocate for the average person there? Yeah, of course. And everybody needs to have somebody who can speak for them. You know, well, everybody you deserves the, a voice. That's Well, that's our system. I, I'm a bit dyslexic, or a lot dyslexic actually, and, I, <laughs> and I'm not a great reader and writer. It takes me a while to comprehend things. Mm -hmm. But I have studied in the last 18 months the, the, the constitution and, and the makeup of the governance of this country. And I'm going to tell you, it's a fantastic system. It has so many checks and balances in it, it's not funny. But when you've changed it round and we're not using the system the way it was designed, it's very destructive to community. And that's where we're at at the moment. We, we have these policies which are just marketing campaigns to keep people in power for the next election. And we have legislation that the big parties secretise and actually weaponise that secrecy and they're what is controlling the government governance of us. Do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? It, a lot of it, you know, and I'll be very honest, goes over yeah. my head because the last time I learnt about any of this was when I was 12 years old, which was 23 mm. years ago. Yeah. Well, even 23 years ago, the system had been changed from the way it was designed when we created the system. Yeah, so just understand it like this. Each state, regardless of its population, has 12 senators. So that's 12 for the five states and two each in the territories. It makes a total of 76 senators. 
they're meant to be pure. They're meant to be non-biased or, or with, uh, with no affiliation to a, to a political party. And their job is to act like jurors. When the lower house puts a legislation up, we have a look at it and we go, hmm, I like that, but hey, you forgot about these guys and can we adjust that slightly so that we can include these people? And can we adjust that slightly so these people uh, uh, aren't hurt by this? And then we all discuss that, the 76 and you know, committees and stuff, of course. Then it goes, then we've made our adjustments, which we've all agreed as a cross-section of community, this is a great legislation that is balanced for our country. And then they put it into law in the lower house. But as I said, at the moment, the people scrutinising are the same people that are making. It's There's so no scary. checks and balance. I love that you say, I appreciate that you say it's scary. Um, uh, Paul Keating, Paul Keating and um, uh, Malcolm Fraser and all both sides of party have said that the Senate is the swill of politics, the gutter of politics. They slow our progress down and they wreck everything. What they do is keep a check and balance on things to make sure that we're not missing out. It's okay that, you know, um, I, I, I am where I am because of the free market and capitalism. But I won't, I won't agree with a market that creates a profit and destroys a planet. I love innovation. We are who we are and I am who I am thanks to innovation. I'm here because of medical innovation. Yes, okay? of course. But I'm not going, but but the, we won't unbalance that by destroying a planet to to have that profit. And and that's why that's why we have no regard in the current governance for renewable energies because there's too much lobbyist money coming from the fossil fuel industry. I'm, the fossil fuel industry has been great for this country. Well, it hasn't really. It's been great for about 12 people. Um, it ha definitely hasn't been great for the Commonwealth. And when I say the Commonwealth, the, the word Commonwealth means the wealth of the nation divided up into the common man. But only a couple of people make a lot of money out of the fossil fuel industry, that's for sure, and they mm. control the government. <laughs> um, yeah. Innovation, I, I believe we're one of the, I, I've travelled the world, I have a big yacht in the Mediterranean, I'm a very lucky guy, I've done well and I travel the world and I, I, it doesn't matter where I am, I always say Australians are special people. We seem to be a little quicker, we seem to be a little uh, cheekier sometimes and <laughs> often more resourceful than any other nation I've seen. Yet the governance of the day seems to want to stifle our innovation we, and a classic example of that and something I don't agree with, which has happened recently in the last decade through legislation, is the privatisation or the, or the, or the uh, profiting from an education. What I mean by that is uh, uh, the, the third biggest industry in this country is our university system. Now, think about that for a second. Who was the person that figured selling our educational resources to overseas students in front of Australian students was a good thing for this country. It may have been a good thing. It may have been a good thing for the profits of universities and those universities may have expanded in some areas thanks to that. But we are exporting our education. 
We're not developing young Australian humans here. We're not developing new great innovators. I do a lot of work with uh, schools in the western suburbs of Sydney, just public schools. And this year, or last year, I can't say for this year, but last year, approximately 20% of um, the girls going to high school doing their HSC wouldn't be able to speak, aren't able to speak English. Now think about the the beautiful people and the beautiful resources we're missing out on by not being able to develop their education so that we benefit from it. Instead, we're putting all our money into helping uh, schools privatise and profit from education. And, and this is what I mean, the, the, the minister or the, or the people that are supposedly advocating for education, they're advocating for the profits of education. They're not advocating for the for the, for the growth and the knowledge of, of young Australians. You are so passionate and it is such an endearing quality and it's so wonderful and this is why I think we need someone like you who has, has, is, has the ability to be able to give a voice to those who need it and I, and I genuinely mean that. And, I mean, you're such a humanitarian. Is this something you've always been passionate in since childhood? Ah, uh, um. It flusters me up a bit <clears throat> when you say that. It's, um, that's very that's very nice to say that. But oh, Baz. my life has had some incredible curveballs thrown at it. Yeah. Um, but I grew up learning uh, learning the value of self esteem. My dad uh, believed in himself and taught us to believe in ourselves, and we had nothing, but we took every event, we took every opportunity, and. Um, the thing is, I am passionate because I know how great this place is. And um, like I said, one of the curveballs that has been thrown at me a couple of times is cancer. Um, I don't believe we get the best cancer treatment in the world. In fact, I, I personally outsource some of my cancer treatment to other countries that, that um, uh, offer different things than we do. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticising the system. I'm just saying... There are certain people making a lot of money out of the system the way it is mm. when other countries have decided to innovate in different directions. And and I'm talking more about holistic care and, and mm. um, complementary medicines and so on. Chris O'Brien, the great Chris O'Brien, Dr. Chris O'Brien, he he saw the value of holistic care and, and um, uh, complementary medicine and he tried to get it through with the government, that, but the government was lobbied by the companies that make a lot of money the way it is here today. Now, Chris went out and raised, raised his own money and uh, that the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse now is an amazing uh, establishment uh, that has taught me and saved me uh, and, and given me strength. But we talked about my passion. I've got, I'm 60 years old. I've got nine-year-old twins. I've done really well, but I uh, uh, don't... I think it's a very uncertain future for the next generation. I'm not just talking about the planet. I'm talking about the imbalance of society. And people say, why do it? And I say, because if I, if I, the day I leave this place, I just have to know I've done all I can. I have to know that I fought the best fight I can fight. And I don't believe the system the way it is. You say it's great to have someone like me. We need 76 individuals like me that will keep these bastards on us and keep an eye up for us. 
because I don't know if you know, we, you, we're talking about this uh, today. The stock market again went to another high yesterday, yet we're all stuffed. Hmm. And I... I'm making a lot of money out of that stock market, so don't let don't let me try and kid you that I'm, I'm a pauper. I'm a well invested man, okay. Yeah. But how is it right that big corporations, in their biggest year of profit, are getting JobKeeper? How is it right? How is it how is it <laughs> yeah. right that that, that companies uh, last year that we bailed out? are paying their CEOs $22 million this year. And we have no say in what happens to the near billion dollars we gave that company. Hmm. The taxpayer did that. And we keep talking that the media seems to be saying continually how everything's free at the moment. My children are going to be paying that back. And whilst I think I mean, I, I'm all for JobKeeper, quite frankly. But what I'm saying is let's innovate. The, 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 there's so many other answers to the problems that we have at the moment. I mean, the lockdown example is a classic. It's a very different world we live in, and we've learned that in the last two years. Two years yeah, ago, we learned that we, we need isolation centres or uh, what are they called um, where you where you have pe- places where people can go to stay isolated. Um, it's quarantine. Quarantine. They're quarantine. Quarantines. Yeah. yeah, quarantine stations are part of the reason this country is so strong. But, mm. you know, for 30, 40, 50 years we didn't see the importance of it. Well, two years ago, Nelly, we, we realised that quarantine, again, is very important. Now, we could have put a billion-dollar quarantine station in every state for about a tenth of what it's costing us every month at the moment. Mm. It's this whole time is just is is horrifically scary, and um, I'm really wanting to know what you thought of the protests. Uh, I, I, I'm probably going to have a different view to people think, and and mine isn't pro protest, that's for sure, uh, especially <laughs> at the moment. But I feel that a lot of people are scared. Um, of course, I, and people do things in fear, don't they? They respond yeah, I don't, in fear. I, I, yeah, I don't think people are trying to hurt each other. I think they're just scared that they may be hurt. Now, if someone's scared enough to to do whatever they do, I'd rather just be a bit compassionate, a bit empathetic and say, hey, let's talk this out. Let's understand what you're worried about. Because I'm worried about things. I have chemicals pumped into me all the time. And I'm telling you, it's scary. Um, but rather than politicise this and create a line in the sand and say, you're on that side and I hate you, and you're on that side and I hate you, wouldn't it be an amazing place if we said, guys, let's talk this out. Let's understand what it is that you think is so bad and Let's either hear that so that you know we've heard it yeah. or maybe learn something from that and, and fix it up. And, you know, like, I mean, I've got where I've got because I trust people, I believe in people, and I talk to people. You know, you say that I'm, um, you just said some really kind words. <laughs> I think that's just normal. I think caring about so people do I. is normal. And I, I don't think, you know, the, the march, I mean, I don't think it was the best idea you could have had. And, and <laughs> there was some parts of that crowd that 
probably troublemakers. I don't know. Uh, I don't think the media shines a light exactly an even light though, <laughs> but but I, I don't want to get into that. My point is this. I don't think that the march did any good. I think it made people that have got problems have more problems. And I'd rather say, okay, you've got a problem. How can I fix it? Wouldn't it just be a nicer place if we tried that one? <laughs> you know, it okay, so easy. <laughs> it does. Well, well, when you've got, when you've got, and I don't want, uh, th- this, this is a very polarised time and, and I believe yes. the culture that I'm trying to create is a more broad and balanced culture. So to talk about this is very polarising and very narrow, but you've got people at the top saying one thing one day, something else at the next. Then you've got the state saying the opposite to that. And then you've got health ministers, health advisors saying, well, I don't want people dying of the vaccine at 18. And then you've got someone else saying that. And the reason we have 10 experts on the TV every night is because we're all trying to get political points from it. It's you're actually not wrong. It's it's so interesting because I've got a friend who lives overseas. My sister lives overseas and they're looking at Australia and looking at what where what's happening down here and they said it's just become political. And it's, 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 ho- all it it's, is. A, it's all it is. And what's really crazy as well is if we didn't have social media and we didn't have the media, I mean, I'm a journalist by trade, but mm. if we didn't have, you know, a news news media who hypes everything up every single day, the problems would be so much more minuscule than they are now. Mm, I agree totally. And now um, is isn't if we just can't came together. All we can do at the moment is come together. Now, I don't mean cuddle each other in the street. That's not what I'm saying. One point five meter distance, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody come together one point five meters apart with a mask on. <laughs> sure, but. But what I'm saying is let's look at this as grown-ups once Mm. this is over and start making decisions as grown-ups that's going to help it. I don't believe getting on and saying that you're disgusted with someone because they've done something because that person believed in what they were doing. Let's understand actually what they believed, you know. it's. um, I think it's a scary world. I do. Uh, I, I, you know. You question you uh, even the most down the middle person is questioning just about every decision they're making at the moment. So when I mean, you've got the people that are controlling the governance of the of the country, yeah. changing their minds every day, that's really that's really difficult. And the reason they're changing their minds every day is because they're trying to score political points out of every news conference. Our governance at the moment is leveraged on daily news beats rather than a philosophy and a culture of cohesion, health, education, transparency, sustainability and commerce, all those things. Yeah, wow. I must admit I've never been one to say my political views um, because I don't, for some reason, I just have never felt like I have very strong political views. And the other day on Instagram, I'm going to put my hand up and say that was the first time that I just wrote a message saying, can we just stay home and get vaccinated? This Mm. is just ridiculous because from what I was seeing with the protests and you're right, I didn't look at it that way. I didn't look at it that they're probably in fear and, and they're feeling 
you know, threatened in their lives that they're trying to make a difference in the way that they know how. Because to me, I saw a group of people lobbying against something that we're all trying so hard to fight for by just doing the right thing, what I perceive is the right thing. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not sticking up for that rally. I'm, I'm of course not you're not, no. What, what, what I'm saying is this. Definitely yeah, made me think. They, they're, they're scared about mm. something or they think they're right let's talk it out let's just talk this yeah and the, uh, but 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 also think about this because it was only about four or five months ago there were six thousand women marching in parliament house due to the way women are treated in this country okay now we didn't even talk that out the leader of the country said no i sound like i'm beating up scott morrison that's not what i want to do I think if people want to vote for him, that's what they do. Uh, but but he said, oh, no, I won't come out and talk to you openly. I will grab four or five of you and take you into my office and we'll have a discussion. That's because it's, it's not transparent. I'm not uh, singling him out, but the way we run a country isn't transparently. See, I get what you mean. Can, can, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think those people were marching for the other day? Because I'm really not sure. I don't know. It was almost yeah. like they just wanted to be heard. And That's, it, There it is. Say no more. Say no more. They just want to be heard. How about you pick up the phone and say, hey, rather than march, what's wrong? I mean, yeah, now we, we've got to a point where that can't happen because – for the last 18 months, rather than say, I, I hear this, but this is what we're thinking. What do you think of that? And then, because out of every idea is just the, every good idea my dad used to say is just a development of a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I true. Another one. My dad used to say this, and I loved it. I've never made a mistake in my life. There's just a stack of things I'm not going to do again. Yeah. And, and, and the other I thing he that. said, and the other thing he said, and I took a lot from this, and I've lived my life on this. Everything I've done, I can do ten percent better. Mm. Now, I could show the government a thousand percent ways better to approach what happened the other day on that march, and I can show the people on that march a thousand percent better ways to to get their message across as well. And none of it is against hate speech and division. It's about mm. cohesion and empathy. I think that's sowing such an amazing way for you to have this platform. I think this is a beautiful message that you're trying to give. And I really want to talk about other aspects of your life because you are such a multifaceted human. And mm. you're an advocate for Are You OK Day? And you've kind of touched on, you know, the the side of you that has suffered from severe depression as mm. to probably why you are, you know, an advocate for Are You OK Day. You're also an advocate for Hummingbird House, the only children's yeah. hospice in Queensland, in and Zealand, also, yeah. of course, the Cancer Council. So yeah. I actually want to tell you a little story. Um, my sister had leukaemia mm -hmm. um, and my dad actually had multiple myeloma cancer. So um, now I'm getting, when I talk to you, I'm actually getting quite emotional because um, it's so, you know, this is something that's very close to my heart, obviously, the Cancer Council, and I'm talking to someone like you who is going through it yourself. Um, so you were first diagnosed with plasma cytoma myeloma. 
That's and correct. then and you were in remission for seven years and then it came back as multiple myeloma. Yeah, what happens? You don't really go into um, remission. For remission. With a, yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, they, it, one generally turns into the other and, and that's what I have now. Most blood cancers are like that. Mm. Um, that's a long, long story, that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it's too long for this uh, conversation. But uh, one of the reasons I'm here today, I believe, is because I don't go completely with the protocols of what's recommended by the people controlling the health of this country. Um, but that's me personally. And I think that every case, every health thing should be treated as, as, as close to an individual case-by-case case situation as it can be. And... Um, I'm sure that's not what you want to talk about, but let's talk no, about no, no. those things. I, I, I'm on the board of Are You OK Day and I've been an incredibly proud ambassador for Are You OK Day for I think close to uh, eight years. I am I was an ambassador and I'm not as active with um, Cancer Council Australia at the moment because they are a big thing and, and I don't think, I mean, there's plenty of people helping there. Hummingbird House, what a lesson in life that was for me. And uh, I was talking to someone today. I was ringing up some of the people that have already volunteered uh, to help me. And uh, I, I wanted to ring those people personally because I'm just so overwhelmed by the support that's been offered to me. But I was very uh, much involved with Hummingbird House. And for people to understand this, Hummingbird House is a hospice for children. There's At the time, a couple of years back now, there was 3,500 children uh, were going to die in Queensland. I think, uh, that year. And there was no hospice in Queensland. So that meant those children would die and their parents would have that time, their last moments with those children, in a hospice surrounded by people with dementia, very old and, and people with pneumonia, and there would be no dignity whatsoever for the families and those children. And... And a hospice for children gives our last moments on this earth good memories and um, the built environment and um, the right support can make that um, final journey a good one. And um, talking to a volunteer today who's, um, who's an advocate for health in the western suburbs of, this, of Sydney was saying how that there's no money for mental health in the western suburbs at the moment and that's because they don't feel we need it and I was explaining to her how Australia's one of the only countries that doesn't have a hospice in every county or every city or every um, uh, constituency or, 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 or precinct so to speak because imagine this and we'll just take um but you didn't think you'd be talking about this when you rang me up. But anyway, no. <laughs> picture this. No, you're, just... you're in far north Queensland and you've got a three-year-old child with leukaemia and that child's in their last couple of months and mm. it has to be in a certain amount of care. Now, if there was a hospice in every city, that care could be spread across some of the aunties and uncles and friends and relatives and neighbours that want to help with that and could be made easier for the system. 
Yeah. But in Queensland, if you were in, in, in far north Queensland, you and your family had to somehow have accommodation in Brisbane, somehow had to do it all on your own, and that ch- and those children would only be cared for by beautiful people, but by people they didn't know. So just think about that. It's you know, we, we have legislation passed in this country every couple of months, all the time, I'm not going to label it, most of the legislation we have in place is to cut funding for these sorts of things. If we were to increase taxes for some of the people that are making billions of dollars or some of the corporations from other countries that don't even pay tax in this country and then use some of that money to create a bigger, more broader system that would have less pressure on the, mm. on the country, would, as well as that, offer dignity to the most vulnerable people on earth. For God's sake, it, it's that simple. It's that simple. But, you know, we don't. What we do is we say, no, nah, no, nah, something like that's just too expensive. We'll work on job growth. I'll give you a tip about job growth. We've been, the unemployment rate, for this country has been between 4 and 6% for the last 30 years. Every election I hear about will create jobs and after every legislation is passed, I hear how there's a loophole in legislation that's allowed the banks to sack 6,000 people. But like, just take that mathematical equation for a second. The unemployment rate in this country is between 5 and 7% for the last 30 years. So all this talk about it, they don't seem to change it much, do they? Yet every, every newsreel you hear is how a big corporation is laying off a 1,000 people. Well, they've done that because they lobbied the government to allow a legislation to be approved would let them do that, would let them uh, fund that work out to, to somewhere else in the world. You know, the, it, some of the legislation uh, that allowed the banks to rip us off the way they did for 30 years uh, is recommended in the Royal Commission to change. But none of that's getting changed. Who was advocating? Who was advocating for us when they created a legislation that allowed us to get so ripped off we had to have a Royal Commission? And a Royal Commission, quite frankly, that the government didn't want to know about. Mm. How how do you see envision this all changing? Like, do you have a timeline that you want this all yep. to be? Definitely, definitely. Um, I, I mean, not every day of my life's a bonus. Um, I, I um, if I was to listen to doctors, if I make it to seventy, it'll be a miracle. But I don't go with that theory. I don't want anybody to think I think that. I I, I don't think that. That's just statistical. Now. I believe if I can get a seat there, I'm going to bring in what is um, a very important thing. It's called radical transparency. That Mm -hmm. means as someone who holds a very powerful seat in the upper house, I won't have, I will use whatever is legal to make sure that what is discussed in that meeting is either, I want to have radical transparency. I Most deals are done behind closed doors and I don't think that's the way the people representing this country or the governance of this country should act. If you're representing the people, the people need to know what you're saying and who you're saying it to and why why you're going with that deal. Why are so many senators 
end up being ambassadors in other countries. They're career politicians, so many of them. I said this and I've said it a few times. It's a bit crass, but I don't mind it. I don't think there's many politicians that have gasped for air in a hospital bed, especially in a frigging public hospital bed, or dug a trench or even at any one time in their life had the ass out of their pants. But I've done all those things and that's why I know I have a better perspective yeah. for, for, for what's going on. For the, the common man. Are, yeah, the, the people that are populating, they're, they're not people, they are people, of course, and, and I'm sure individually the senators of this country, the ones that are representing the, the four, four major parties, are yeah. very good people, okay? But the thing is they can't do what they want to do as people. They can't make a decision on what's in their conscience that's created by the blood that runs through their body and pumps their heart. They have to toe the party line. And the party's lifeblood is lobbyist dollars. Whether they believe in it or not, they have to vote a certain way. Now, if we had 76 individuals, a far more balanced system, and, and you ask why I'm so passionate, that's my plans, to get in there, <laughs> let people understand the importance of transparency, cohesion, empathy, health, education, sustainability, and commerce as equal entities. Not one more powerful than the other because it suits someone who is very powerful. And if I can get in there, if I can open the door, create a porthole where, where you can see in, where you can see and hear about who is voting for these things? Who is voting to allow that salmon farming off Tasmania that is polluting it at, at a rapid rate and destroy? Who is voting to have, to have the Great Barrier Reef which UNESCO believes should have been on a, 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 a list, list taken yeah. off. Who voted? If they want to put it on the endangered list, put it on the endangered list. Yeah. Now, let's just say you don't believe in, in climate change or you don't believe anything's happening to it. What's the harm done if a few extra people care about it? Yeah, of course. Oh. Well, tell me the harm <laughs> done in caring for something. Oh, yeah. So get a porthole in there. Uh, I hope there's I, I hope there's more than me run as an independent this year. Although what will happen? Uh, let me come back to what will happen. But um, what I have to do is create a porthole, give people an idea. You're a young person, and you're just not that engaged with politics anymore because it's, I just don't understand it. More it's, than it's, under, it's not understandable. It's people with special interests, and they and and I want to I want to encourage people like you. My market, I think, is young mm. people, uh, tradies, people that have been stuffed over every day, quite mm. frankly, and and can see that there's nothing in it for them. And I want to show them what's in it if they have a go, and and not like what Scott says, have a go as in change the democracy, change. Yeah the governance of the country back to what it was designed for and we will have a good balanced system. I just want to go back to something that's very important mm -hmm. and think about this for a second. I've been asked by both sides of party uh, by both sides of politics to run as an, as as a as a representative for yeah. um, uh, the the lower house. Now, if I ran as an independent here in in Wentworth, I would probably win. Okay, there's a lot of people that would back me. A lot of people want to see more independence. Mm -hmm. And to win that, I, I need about twenty or 30,000 votes. For Scott Morrison or, Albany, or, or Al, ScoMo or Albo, as I call him, to get 
to win their electorates, they probably need twenty or 30,000 votes. Mm. For me, average Joe, to get a seat in the Senate, I need about 700,000 votes. What? Yeah, yeah. Now, very important for listeners <laughs> to hear this. There's about, um, must be just under 6 million voters in New South Wales. There's going to be six senators. Now, the way it works with the, with the, the balance of preferences is this. Most people vote above the line. That means there'll be three senators that you don't even know the names of for those major parties that will get your vote. So if you vote mm. for Labor or Liberal, you're voting for those people. You don't know who they are. You're just voting above the line and done. And the majority of the country and are going to vote for the two parties or Greens or Nationals, right? Yeah. And that means those they automatically get their seats. But And then you've got all these little parties, and and I'm not criticising any of them, but there are smaller parties that might get 20,000 votes or 40,000 votes, and then when they don't make it, their votes have to go somewhere else and you have to preference someone so your votes will end up going to Labor or Liberal, whichever side of the fence you lean on. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Therefore, the Greens, Labor, Liberal and the National will control the Senate again. They'll control the checks and balances that are supposedly scrutinising the lower house. What I need people and other independents need is for you to vote for Albo or ScoMo or the Greens or the Nationals, whoever you want in the lower house. But in the upper house, take the time to vote for the person that you think best represents you, not the party, because a party represents their lobbyist dollar friends, their big corporations. Tell me... The last time you can make, you know, I don't, I don't want to go. But yeah, so I need one sixth of the votes of this country, of this state. Okay, I want people to think about that. About seven hundred thousand people have to put my name on the ticket. I'm vote for Scamo, vote for Albo, but in the Senate, unless you vote number one for that independent. You're just voting for Labor or Liberal to check and balance themselves. I um, I it just feels the way that you're explaining it to me feels so corrupt. Oh, you said it. Um, <laughs> as I said, the way the system was designed, it wasn't that way. I know. That's not how just... uh, uh, you think about legislation is a life sentence. If I, I want you to think about legislation as a life sentence. It could be a great life sentence or a bad life sentence. Now, if, if, and each state has 12 jurors to Mm. decide what, what that sentence looks like. But at the moment, I think there's probably six of this, of the 76 that aren't aligned to a major party. So they're, there's no control. There's no representation. I mean, if you vote, I mean, most most young people vote Greens, right? Because they think, ah, oh, they're doing something for the environment, and and they 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 do lobby that way, and they do that stuff. That that's the basic philosophy. I mean, we've been marketed to vote Greens. Like, if yeah, you don't want to vote totally. liberal, if you don't want to vote Labor, you vote Greens. Like, that's that's how I remember growing up with politics. Is that yeah? Well, I speaking of growing very- up. 
Speaking of growing up, listen to this. I'm 60 years old. My dad, I'm telling anybody that'll listen to this, he was a blue-collar, hardest worker you ever met in your life and would have died for the Labor Party, okay, mm. because he, he, that's what he believed in. But it didn't matter who was in power, Labor or Liberal, he respected that democratic process. He believed in that democratic process and he said, it doesn't matter who's in Labor or Liberal, in the end, it's the Senate that keeps them honest. But we lost that in the 70s. We lost the ability to have the checks and balances put in place that the, that the system was designed to do. We lost the jurors. We said the lawyers who are, who are putting the evidence up, they can tell us if that's right or not. Mm. If you think about it like that, that's how it is. You're, you're the, the judge and you vote in a senator who you believe will act on the jury the way you should, unbiased, no, no leaning to the left or to the right. He has a charter. Everybody keeps asking me what my policies are. If I had policies or if I inflicted my policies on each legislation, they would mm. be biased, wouldn't they? No, of course. we need pillars. And that's why we, we used to have the pillars of society representing us in the Senate. Can I ask you a, an honest question? <laughs> you should keep them all that way. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I always just like to preface that I'm asking. <laughs> Do you think you've got a chance of winning this? Okay. Honestly. Uh, I, I, yeah, honestly I do and I'll tell you why. I'm a man of means. Um, I'll say this out loud. You, you, you asked me to be honest. I'm about 70 grand into this already. Okay. Wow, Think okay. about that for a second. I have to be above the line because you're just no chance otherwise. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, a guy who gets invited into the rooms of uh, living rooms of people every Friday night and I'm really proud to say I've done good things for people my whole life. Now, do I, I think it's impossible for the average person in the big states to get in. Uh, Jackie Lambie did it in Tasmania because there's still 12 senators in Tassie as well, but I think there's only about a couple of hundred thousand people live there, right? So, you know, and Adelaide as well. Adelaide has a pretty balanced political system, really. There's, that's, uh, you know, the Democrats used to be there. There's a few independents down there. Rex Patrick's down there. There's a few Green Senators down there. But in New South Wales, because it's so big, like I said, uh, half the state will vote for Labor, half the state will vote for for, the, for Liberal, and if they just vote above the lines, that means there's no way uh, I, 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 you could get in. But I, I've put this money in. I'm a, a TV celebrity. I hate using that word, but that's what I am. I've, I've I've been on the board of Are You OK Day for a long time. I've been ambassador for many charities. I, I was all those things before I attempted this. Most politicians become ambassadors for something because it adds to their PR campaign. But so if anyone's a chance, I am. But what's going to go wrong, and I, I'll predict it already, what will go wrong is this. There, there will be a few people, we're, we're, we're all fed up, and, and from what I've heard, there's, a, uh, there's that guy who was in the Liberal Party who's left McDonald. I think he's a bit of an anti-vaxxer guy. He's, he's going to run as an independent. Well, that's going to draw away some of the votes from me. There's talk that Pete Evans is going to run. That's going to drag some votes away from me because the majority are going to go right or left. 
And then there's only a small component left of, I estimate there's about a million and a half swing voters. That's mm-hmm. you. You're one. You can still yeah. vote for SCOMA. But I think young people, if I can get this message out, will say, I'm going to give this a go. I am going to ask the question. I'm not going to be a hater. I'm going to ask and see if this will work. Now, if there's six good people, well, that means only one of us will get the gig because there's only enough spare votes going around for one of us. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. What kind of education do you think that kids these days should have? Because... Like I said to you, the last time I learned anything was 23 mm. years ago and I got to go to Parliament House in Year 6. Did and you? I just wow. think that, yeah, it was really fun actually. It was really <laughs> cool. Um, but, you know, I'm not a political person. There's not, a, you know, there are a lot of people out there like me and I feel like it's because I haven't had that continued knowledge throughout my life mm. um, about politics in Australia. So I'm very curious to know what you'd want to see in the education system. Um. That's a, that's a big question. Uh, I've got nine-year-old twins. My wife's uh, out in the kitchen at the moment. I think they just finished up their homeschooling for the day and I, I'm fascinated uh, at how well they're going, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, they, we've got a great little public school here. Admittedly, there's no high schools in my area. I'll have mm. My children will have to go to a private school. There'll be no choice uh, okay. in that. Uh, I think that's wrong. I think that's terrible. I think the fact that we fund private schools to the same level as we fund the private educa- uh, the, the public education system is disgraceful um, uh, because I, I, I think a, an education is, is the pathway to a, a, um, a better future, not just for the individual but for the whole country. Can you imagine if we double the amount of money we're spending on education? What would be the, the long-term dividends of that? But uh, that, that, that's an argument. And, you know, you can't just spend money. So then you have to also analyse how you tax certain people or, or what, do we, what do we do with the resources of this country? Uh, you know, it, it, it needs a rethink. But education, um, I, I ran a um, – I, I started up a bit of a foundation. Uh, uh, it was called Co-Innovate. And what I wanted to do, because I got nothing out of the education system. I, learnt, I left school in high school and fourth form in the old days. I couldn't read or write. Uh, was I that at 16? Comp- yeah, 16. 10? I could mm. yeah, year 10. It wasn't even called year 10 when I was going to school. But, uh, fourth form. But, yeah, it wasn't even, there wasn't even colour TVs though either. So, <laughs> But, uh, but, um, but the, the thing is, the the built environment that 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 is something I'm incredibly passionate about. The yeah, built environment around the educational space it didn't suit me. I I'm not going to learn in that situation. My son's a little bit like me. He he does much better in, in an open sort of learning situation. He's doing really well with the homeschooling. He's going. Oh, fantastic. that's so great. Is that yeah. because he's more focused, or is it because he, he's able to be focused? I mean, something the education department learned th- something like 35 years ago was that if you if you line children up and face a blackboard, um, the the children in the first three rows. Uh, feel intimidated by the people behind them and the people behind them don't feel engaged in the class. But it took 30 of those 35 years for us to start to change the seating arrangement because no one's really advocating for education. Uh, There's a lot of lobbyists. If you go down to Canberra, there's a lot of lobbyists uh, 
that are advocating for demountable classrooms because that's a $4 billion a year industry. There are not many people down there advocating for a, uh, I, I, I work with the Hive Group and, and they were advocating for a self-sufficient, um, sustainable classroom. Now, what sort of an education would, what would the planet look like if 30 years ago you went to a classroom that was off the grid? What would, it, would the planet look like today if you went to a classroom where you didn't have to walk across the quadrangle to go to the toilet? You you went to the bathroom and then and that waste was turned into a resource and it fertilised plants that uh, helped create uh, better oxygen and uh, cooled the air through evaporative cooling. Now, that's an idealistic situation, but what would our planet look like today if we went to a classroom that offered that sort of excursion every day? But that what would we, be divine. Well, let me tell the you something. The world would be so different, so simple. Uh, it would be so simple. I'll tell you something else because I, I, I've looked at a lot of this. At, at about 8 o'clock every day, 110,000 buses start their engines to ship 4 million children all at the same time to a place where 180,000 lights will be turned on to give light and burn coal in a room that's only used in the day. <laughs> wow. You know, we don't, we don't innovate because people who are supplying the mountables or the people that are making money out of the system that it is today are happy with it. They don't want to see that innovation. Put a skylight in a classroom, we'll, be, we'll have 10% less children leaving school with glasses. Put some insulation in the walls. Uh, I, I ran a test down in uh, Victoria. Now, mm. I, I'm going off topic here a little bit. but No, this is really fascinating. We, um, if it, at, um, uh, 100 years ago, the, the carbon dioxide in the air was about 180 parts per million. Uh, today, mm. you and me breathing in our houses is probably around 400 to 450 parts per million. So our bodies, you wonder why cancer is a grow, you know, growing at a rate of knots. I mean, we're not getting the same oxygen we used to 150 years. And in, in the DNA of a human, 150 years is a blink. We've changed the percentage of oxygen we breathe dramatically, but it's, it'll take us a 1,000 years to adapt to that. But I put a monitor in a, in, a in a couple of classrooms in, in uh, Melbourne. Now, I'll give you a tip. If you were working as a miner in a mine in, for BHP and, and the alarm went off, it went off because the oxygen level, the CO2 level was above 28, between above 2,800 and 3,500 for an hour. And that mine would be evacuated for the safety of those miners. Now, we monitored the, uh, the CO2 level in the, uh, the carbon dioxide level in a classroom for a month, and it, and it ranged between 2,500 and 4,500 parts per million. So when your child comes home and you say, hey, what did you do at school today? He goes, oh, nothing. He's not joking. He didn't comprehend any of it. He was living in a semi-comatose state. Now, that's because we close the windows in winter and we have unflued gas heating down there burning all the air, all the oxygen out of the air. But we, what will we say at the, at the, uh, at the next legislation will be to cut 
cut spending in the education mm. department. That, that, that's what it'll be. There's no advocate for children there. Mm. You know, at, let's, when we look at the built environment around a classroom, we look at the square metres and the cost. We don't engage uh, psychologists. We do with the, the private system. They can do that because the Australian taxpayer, Joe Nobody, pays million, billions and millions a year to the private system and they have beautifully sustainable, gorgeous buildings. But Joe Nobody, Joe Nobody out at Mount Truitt in the western suburbs of Sydney, he's stuck in a demandable classroom that to be kept at 30 degrees in temperature costs us hundreds of dollars a day in electricity bills and burning thousands of tonnes of coal to make that electricity. What sort of a place would it be if your children and my children went to a classroom that naturally and sustainably created an a, a temperature of about 22 to 24 degrees all day. What was sort of a place would it be if you could see the sun, if you could, if you could breathe fresh air, if you could read under natural light? What sort of a Honestly, lesson would that be? One of my favourite, I used to go to public school myself, so I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I went to a very, I was in an affluent area and I was in a very good public school, but hmm. um, it, it felt, if you looking back on it now, just listening to you, I was like, God, it actually really looked like a prison. Like there was mm. A block, B block, D block, yeah. you know, it was all concrete. There was no, we had demountables. They, they, were, they were stacked on top of each other in terms of yeah. the, the, the classrooms. And you would literally, there was even actually, most of them only had one row of windows. Mm. Well, like I said, we legislated a couple of years back to spend $4 billion on demountable classrooms. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they were the, they only came into so I I went to school I, I left school in 2004 mm. so I'm pretty sure demountables were kind of only starting to come in when I was in late primary school high school because I only remember them kind of appearing. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you know, when you've got a, a the thing with urban architecture um, is that we have. Um, an expansion and contraction of population. So bricks and mortar schools aren't such a great idea either. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're not sustainable. Like uh, my little school here, I think five years ago in, uh, in Bondi Public, for example, Bondi Beach Public, there were, I think it was two or three kindergartens. At the moment, there's about eight kindergartens and in five eight years on classes yeah I was, uh, don't don't quote me on these figures something like what, that yeah there's a huge fluctuation in numbers so it's it's not that sustainable to be building bricks and mortar either mm. but but we also but who's innovating who's saying what's a better idea no one exactly because no one. there's there's some bureaucrats that are doing real well out of signing contracts to people they know and i don't mean they know and that's their brother-in-law they create relationships mm. and, and we're not using the, the brains of this country for a couple of reasons. One reason we're not creating the brains because we're shipping the education offshore. Like I said, uh, the education, our universities are our third biggest exporter. I don't see that as a good thing. I'm all for the integration of some overseas students, but not at the cost of an Australian education. It also seems quite difficult for kids to get into university these days. There's no spots. 
Yeah. Why would you? Why would you give a spot to uh, to someone when the, we've legislated so you can charge what you like to someone who's going to come and take that education back to his country? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm so depressed, Bass. I'm yeah, so I'm, depressed. I, I mean, you can't be depressed. I mean, you, you've got to believe that. that uh, you know, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe, I believe no, in this course. country. I, I think this is the greatest country in the world. And I think like it's I said, marvellous. You look yeah. at the Olympics at the moment. We're a tiny little country compared to some. We, we, you know, we're still smashing them in the pool. We're, we're, you know, that's because that's who we are. Don't stifle us. Let us all have a swim in the pool. Let us all have a go and, 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 and encourage us to innovate. Don't, don't keep knocking us down because your mate's going to lose money out of it and you won't have a seat on the board once you finish your three-year term. It's um, You've given me so much to think about. I, I do really want to know, though, what kind of world do you want your gorgeous twins to grow up in? The best world they can have. Um, it's just, uh, see, my passion is that I'm not going to be there to see that. I know that. I, um, I don't want to engage with the doctors that keep telling me I don't have long to go. But I am a realist and I can't go without knowing that I've done what I can do to encourage you, to encourage others to believe in us and trust one another and be empathetic with each other and, and work towards a better world for each other, not for the benefit of a few. And if we can accomplish that, whatever we accomplish, is what it's going to be, and I'm just going to do the best I can. So, uh, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm an emotional guy. And I, uh, I live an interesting life, and uh, as powerful and as strong as I think I am, I do lay in bed staring at the ceiling, often thinking about that very question. Your passion and um, whew, your. Um, it's such a beautiful, I can't even speak actually. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, like it's, it's been honestly quite a pleasure to, to be able to chat with you for so long, just one-on-one. -on -one. I think I'm very lucky we well, can hear it in my voice. Um, I, I think that you, you know, you're, you're going to live as long as you believe that you will. And I know that you will, you'll just keep fighting because that's just who you are. And I think it's also so wonderful that you're so vulnerable and that you show so much emotion. I think there needs I'm to be soft. more of that in this world. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I, no. I, think, I think the tip to staying, to staying alive is staying curious and believing in yourself. And I'm so Absolutely. curious about the young people of this country because I, I believe if they believe in themselves, we'll take it in a better direction than we're going now. We're not curious to innovate. In it, the governance of this country isn't curious to innovate. And if you're not curious, you've lost your will to live. Mm. And I think that just about sums up this, this political situation that we live in. I'm not blaming Albo or ScoMo, I'm blaming the system. And the system has yeah. allowed 
it to decay so that there is no real check and balance and no advocate for the average person. No advocate for the country. There's only advocates there's only advocates for those that can pay for advocacy. You've had so many low moments in your life. No, no, I've never had a low high moments. I've never had a low moment in my life. My life is a sum of every day added up to today, and I'm real happy with where I stand. Oh, I'm going to take that back then. That's, <laughs> I was going to say hard moments. I should have said hard moments. You've had some sure. tough moments to deal with. What's one piece of advice you'd give yourself at your lowest moment in your life, knowing what you know now? Uh, like I said, I, I've never made a mistake uh, in my life. There's just a lot of things I'll do differently. Uh, at the next election, it will be easy to get the home deliver, but I want you to walk down to the front gate for a, uh, a homemade warm meal. And that means vote for mm. someone who you believe in for the Senate. Put whoever you like in the lower house because the Senate will keep them honest. That's my advice to this country. Apart from that, don't, apart from that, don't sweat the small shit. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> there you go, guys. He said it. Vote Team Baz is all <laughs> I can say right now. If you're not convinced, good Lord, listen to this again. Listen to this 10 times over and you'll be convinced mm. a million times over. This has been so delightful. Thank you so much. I couldn't. Uh, I, it, it was an absolute delight, honestly. Oh, you're a treasure. Thank you very much and, uh, and love to Thank everybody. And, uh, and just believe in yourself. Um, and if you believe in yourself and, and, and check in with the ones around you, as we say to AUAK, engage with people, be compassionate, listen to them and, and, and offer uh, your assistance wherever you can. All this hate isn't getting us anywhere. Well, I'm sure you can agree with me. That was such an enlightening chat. If you want more information on Baz Dubois' run for Senate, check out the link in the show notes. On the next episode of The Good Chat, I had the absolute joy of sitting down with James Lafferty of One Tree Hill fame and Stephen Coletti from Laguna Beach for their new series, Everyone Is Doing Great, hitting Paramount+. Plus. And I have to tell you, you have got to watch every single episode. It is awesome. And if you're listening for the first time to this podcast, how about check out episode eight from this season where Michelle Bridges opens up for the very first time about the lessons she learned before having her son Axel. It's just, there's just so much to it. You know, like I I remember being a bit naive um, and getting a lot of heat because of it. I remember saying, oh, you know, I, I maybe put it down maybe to the fact that I'm, I've always looked after myself, I've always had really good health and I've taken care of myself and I, I got blasted in the media for saying that. There's a lot of backlash of people that have said, you know, look, I look after myself, you know, I do, I've done all of that too. So, and I get that. So I thought, okay, that was a naive thing to say, Michelle. And if you like this chat, you can rate, follow and review and follow me on Instagram at AnitaAnnabelle underscore and at the Good Chat Pod. See you next week.